We are going through a number of slight transitions here at Grace, so I just want to say as your pastor, thank you for rolling with the differences, lots of variables, lots of things taking place, and while they may not be perfect, thank you for just singing your hearts out to the Lord, and week by week we'll be making some tweaks here and figuring out what's next best as far as how to guide the services and yet give people a place to serve and as your pastor, not try to fill every role possible. So be praying for our wisdom, for wisdom for our leadership, and just praying that we'll know how to uh, continue to improve week after week. But church, thank you for your patience. Thank you for singing out boldly and faithfully here this evening. Let's take our Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. We continue our study through the book of Ruth, this marvelous study in Scripture that each week and each time that we've spent time in it has drawn our hearts more and more to the truths that are to be gleaned here in this precious book. And I can't speak for you, but for me, each week I realize I did not know the book of Ruth like I thought I did. And there are aspects and things about Ruth that shine right out of the, the book and out of the pages of Scripture that the Lord by His Spirit is pleased to help us and to show us His truths as we seek Him with a pure heart. Let's look into the book of Ruth, and we're right in the middle of chapter 3. We're right in the middle of chapter 3, and I want us to, to begin there in chapter, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 1, and lay a little bit of the foundation, and then we'll pick up right in the middle of our study in Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Translation, we need to find you a spouse, a husband, Ruth. Verse 2, now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not your relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what it is that you are to do. Then in verse 5, Ruth said to Naomi, All that you say to me, I will do. We're picking up here in our study of Ruth chapter 3, and we're going to begin with a quote from C.S. Lewis before we jump right back into our outline. But C.S. Lewis said this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. In fact, it will become, C.S. Lewis says, unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. This is an excerpt from The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. I think that insight is helpful for us as we consider Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz in, Ruth, in the book of Ruth and in Ruth chapter 3. 
All three of these individuals were motivated, are motivated, and we'll continue to see this evening, by love. In fact, the possibilities of misunderstanding the awkwardnesses that are here in the text, I think they're more awkward for us as we view it with our cultural eyeglasses, even looking into the, the patterns of the day. But the possibilities for misunderstanding were, were large and huge. It's possible for Ruth to misunderstand Naomi's reliance upon Yahweh and his law, but she accepts it with complete faith and obedience. It's possible for Boaz to misunderstand the offer that Ruth makes to him. And it's possible for both Ruth and Naomi to misjudge the kind of man that Boaz is to be. Well, as we look into the scripture tonight, last week we introduced before the Lord's table, number one, the plan that Naomi devised, the plan, verses one through four. Then secondly, the proposal. Then number three, the promise, the promise Number one, the plan. We saw in verses 1 through 4, as we just read in our scripture reading, that Naomi has a sense of responsibility and guidance as she guides Ruth into what to do next. Verse 1, my daughter Ruth, shall I not seek security for you so that it may be well with you? Naomi has a shepherding concern for Ruth's future security and also for her future happiness. Naomi obviously knows the law of God. She knows God's instructions. Deuteronomy chapter 25 concerning the kinsman redeemer and giving Ruth guidance that she may not have a background knowledge of, understanding of, of what to do next. So what we find here, Naomi's plan, is that Naomi begins to formalize a strategy. Verse 2, we saw that she reminded Ruth of her relationship with Boaz, asking the question, is he not? Our, our relative, she informs Ruth of the habits and activities of Boaz there in verse 2. She says, in fact, Boaz is winnowing the barley tonight at the threshing floor. He will be completing the harvest process. He will be celebrating. He will be logging the books. He will be having a meal with his workers. He will be happy. He will be merry. He will be exulting in the Lord and so she instructs Ruth concerning Ruth's physical preparation, practical advice here from a mother-in-law to a daughter-in-law, here guiding her in a motherly way to anoint, to wash, to clean, to put on the best uh, outfit that she has, to put on her best perfume, and to go forth and ready to present her proposal to, to Boaz. And we saw last week as well that it's a reminder to us, as Naomi guides Ruth in these practical matters, that time and place and manner are important. Timing is everything. Ruth was instructed to wait till Boaz was completed with his work and his eating and drinking until everyone was preparing for the end of the day. She guides her on the place and she tells her how to come to Boaz. What wise counsel this is. And we see the Holy Spirit's anointing in all of this, and we were reminded last week as we took a moment to apply just parental advice, parents be involved. Here we see Naomi being that mother figure to Naomi. And by way of practical application, many parents today have a hands-off approach when it comes to their adult children. And we understand that when a child becomes an adult, they, they reach a point to where they begin to make their own decisions. We certainly get that. But we're talking about when, they, when they're in the sphere of your influence, in their late teens, preparing for marriage, 
Plant every seed you can, parents, and many future parents that are here tonight, and, and this message will extend beyond our own church family that is here. Future members of our church may go back and listen to this, so this is just practical, timeless advice for all of us. And the point, the takeaway point is simply this, be involved. Be involved. Do not be disengaged. So many parents today are, are just disengaged. They're passive in this regard of who their children are dating or dating advice or what are we going to do when we get to this point? How are we going to handle this? Simply have a plan. Seek the scriptures. Seek counsel. Seek advice. But parents, above all things, guide your children on the ways of the Lord and how to find a spouse. The plan. Secondly, the proposal. Notice with me verses 5 through 9. The proposal. And she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful, simply means happy. Many re read into the text here to assume that he was drunk or maybe under the influence. That is not the case according to the Hebrew original Hebrew text. He was just simply ex exhilarating in the fact that Harvest season was concluding. God had blessed his efforts. His heart was cheerful. And then he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she obeyed. She came softly, the text says, and uncovered his feet, and she lay down. What we find here is that Ruth it begins to pursue the kinsman redeemer, a physical human redeemer by faith in her divine redeemer. The question is asked, how does Ruth respond to this instruction, this concern for her welfare and well-being, the strategy of her mother-in-law? Simple answer, she responds with submission and obedience. She follows Naomi's instructions every step of the way. Naomi tells her to come and find Boaz and to not to scare him, not to startle him, not to go about it in a dramatic way, but to simply uncover his feet so that at some point he will awaken and they can have the conversation. One commentator says this, Ruth is not asking to share covers for one night. She is asking for the covering of marriage for life. She is coming, initiating as the instruction is given in the book of Deuteronomy the initiation that a widow would give for a kinsman redeemer. So let's just make sure we're clear. It would be inappropriate for a single young lady who has never been married to initiate this type of relationship. It would be that way awkwardly today, would be that way certainly in this day. But not so for the widow. And the key distinction here, as many of you know, but just in case some of you don't, are not tracking with me, this is not awkward according to God's natural program that he's given to his people for the widow to initiate contact or a proposal with a prospective kinsman redeemer. And what we find is, is according to Boaz's response, the way he responds and what he says is that he is willing to receive this offer. When we consider Ruth, we can simply say this, listen with me, Ruth is a beautiful woman. Now, I mean that to have the impact that I want it to. And here's the point. Not one aspect of Ruth, the book of Ruth, describes what Ruth looks like physically. Ruth is a beautiful woman because of the spirit within her, her godly character. She is a, a worthy woman. 
She is a woman of virtue. So while we do give a note that there's a practical instruction that Naomi gives to her outward person, her physical care, that, that, that is not to be overlooked. But the reason that Ruth is a beautiful woman, this commendation, it points to the fact that Ruth is a woman of godly character. More about that in just a moment. Boaz is a godly man. And this godly woman resonates with him and he accepts Ruth's godly request. And so what we find here is that Ruth is, is not a seductive woman. She is not going about this in a way that is counter to, to Scripture. Friends, I'll just remind all of us, worthy women are not employed in the art of seduction. And so Ruth comes to Boaz and she makes this proposal. We've already seen in Ruth chapter 2 that, that Boaz had attention for her. He had, he had given attention to her. He recognizes her character and her reputation. And so she follows Naomi's instructions with precision and without hesitation. We see that Naomi has a heart for Ruth and Ruth for Naomi, and that she gives this practical guidance to her. And so she gives this proposal. Boaz responds not with an alarm in the sense of how dare you. Boaz does not respond in a way that is disbelieving. Boaz responds in a way that reflects that his heart was desiring this all along. But Boaz was not going to be the one to, to initiate this. And that leads us to point number three, the plan, the proposal. And then number three, the promises that Boaz makes towards Ruth. Notice with me verse 10. Now Boaz responds, and I'll just go ahead and say, Boaz is certainly a godly man. We have pointed to this in the text. Uh, but think about this. This is, this is the middle of the night. And I can't speak for you. We're not trying to get, give too much information here, but I'm probably not as godly a man as Boaz is in the middle of the night coming out of a, a dead sleep. We've already pointed out in Ruth chapter 2 how Boaz is not only godly, but he's practically godly, literally by greeting his workers by saying, the Lord be with you today, invoking God's presence into the lives of his workers and his affairs. He's not afraid to do that. He lives quorum Deo in the eyes, before the eyes of God. But here we see in verse 10, his response is a beautiful response. It's a godly response. And he says, Then, blessed are you of the Lord of Yahweh, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Notice how Boaz in this response invokes her virtue, invokes her character into the, the moment here. So how does the potential kinsman redeemer respond to this very unusual, uh, unexpected encounter? He responds in a way that reminds us and continues to teach us that Boaz is a godly man. The more we learn about Boaz, the more we learn of his character. And I'm convinced, as I said at the beginning, that, that Boaz and Ruth are maybe some of the most underrated Old Testament saints that we do not highlight enough in regards to their, not only their place and role in the program of redemption, but just the fact of how they point us as examples in godly virtue and character to the Lord Jesus Christ. Boaz is a godly man at the high noon of the workday, and here we see he's a godly man in the middle of the night when suddenly awakened. 
He is a man who is constantly living before the eyes of God, reminding us Genesis chapter 16, verse 13, where Hagar, alone, abandoned in the wilderness with her son Ishmael, she simply says to God, as she cries out to God, she says, You, O God, you are the God who sees. In the King James, Thou, God, seest me, from my scripture memory, from Awana. You are the God who sees. Boaz lives this way, quorum Deo, realizing that every decision, every conversation, every aspect of his life is before the eyes of God. Here we see in our text that his affectionate choice of words reflects the love and kindness of God. In fact, it's an amazing moment for Boaz as we think about this, that this amazing man has been living faithfully, walking by faith, living by faith, Wondering, God, you've blessed me, as we pointed out before, in, in every sphere of my life. But why is it that you seem to be pleased to allow me to be, to be single? And here we find that God has been preserving for him a wife in the form of Ruth for just this very moment. So Boaz reveals his heart here and his response. Notice his response is not any type of description towards her physical beauty, although no doubt there probably was obviously a, a physical attraction, but out of his words, he, he is attracted to her godly character, and not her elegant clothes, not the perfume and all the preparation that, that she has done, but he praises her that her virtue and her character exceeds and continues to surprise him. It is her righteous life. He is attracted to her inward beauty. There's some practical Church family application for us in a world that puts so much emphasis on human, on physical beauty, on the outer beauty. So much emphasis is given in our world worships the outer man. But it's a reminder to us as Proverbs 31 30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Friends, may we seek the Lord in our inner man, in our spiritual man, as much as we do the pampering of our outer man. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Uh, the, the Old Testament says God sees not as man sees. God looks upon the heart, doesn't he? But at the same time, man does see the outer man. So it's important that we be wise stewards of our, of our persons, of our bodies, as stewards of God, as servants of God. But in a world that puts so much emphasis on beauty and handsomeness and stature, literally worshiping it, the scriptures point us to the fact that the most important thing is the person who we are on the inside. The person that only God sees. Again, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain or passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And here we see such a woman in the form of Ruth. Again, Peter writes, 1 Peter 3, 3, Your adornment must not be merely external, such as the braiding of hair or the wearing of gold jewelry or putting on dresses. Verse 4, But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and a meek, quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, former times, the holy women of old also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive, to their own husbands. And we see these worthy descriptions are, are pointing us not only in commentary, but to Ruth. 
So how does Boaz respond? Well, number three, we see his, his promises that he makes, his promise that he makes. And it, and it comes in the form of five subheadings. So follow with me if you're taking notes. First of all, we see Boaz's praise. And notice what he says. He says, Then, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness here at the end than when I first met you in the barley harvest, in the harvest field. Here, Boaz praises her for her loyal love, getting very specific to the point, not just her character in general, but he praises her for her loyal love. This word kindness, kessed, is the same word that Naomi uses in chapter 2, verse 20. In chapter 2, verse 20, she praises this word, and she uses this word uh, to describe God's faithful love, his loyal love. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. Same word here. So Ruth not only experienced this loyal love of God, not only has she seen it in Boaz, but now she's a reflector of this same love that she has experienced from Yahweh, demonstrating it, displaying it day after day. She was a benefactor of that love to others. She has showed it already steadfastly to Naomi and now to Boaz. The tender, loving kindness of God. Friends, can I just remind us for a second as Boaz gives praise to Ruth's character here for her steadfast love, for her loving kindness. This is a part of what makes the church beautiful. This is what makes us as believers as we see Jesus's instruction in Matthew chapter 6 to be the salt and the light. What does that mean exactly? Well, we see multifaceted examples in the scriptures, but I would simply say this, maybe in a coin summary phrase, a loved people love people. A people who've experienced the love of Yahweh, the love of God, the love of Christ, demonstrate that love in their own professions of faith and love and life. Ruth certainly does this. She is a loved woman, has experienced the love of the Lord as he's redeemed her, as he's brought her to this place. And she pours out her life in a very demonstrative way that, is easy to see. That's the whole point of maybe what I'm laboring to get at. It's, it's something that, that everyone can see. Boaz can see it. Naomi can see it. The whole town can see it. And it's obvious to point to. It's just pouring out of her. And so it's a reminder to us that loved people love people. The bride of Christ is loved of Christ, by Christ. And friends, would our reputations be those of that which is known that we love people with the love of Christ. Not love, as we pointed out this morning, that the world defines as love, affirming love alone, love that pampers, love that sours, love that just simply is evil, love that is not true love, but a perfecting love, a love that mirrors the Father's love for us as his children, as his redeemed children of grace. And this is what Boaz is praising. He praises her. This is a rare quality. He praises her for her purity, for her steadfast love. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 25 gives background commentary for the instruction to the widow and the kinsman redeemer. And Boaz praises her. She's not going about things in her own way. He's quite a bit older than her. She could have pursued others. She could have disregarded the law of God. 
She could have have disobeyed God's law and married outside of her family, but she did not do any of those things. She waited with patience and purity for the day of her kinsman redeemer, for the day of her redemption. Verse 11, he continues to praise her. He says, for all the people of our town know that you are a, a virtuous woman. I've already pointed to Proverbs 31, but if you do a word study on this word virtuous, some translations like the New American Standard, the LSB, translate this, a woman of excellence. For all the people, verse 11, of my town know that you are a woman of excellence. You are a woman of virtue. And the word study gives a multifaceted picture of you are a woman of excellence, of value, of virtue. It's often used as a military term to describe a general efficiency and care for, for his troops. This is what Boaz is saying her reputation is. Secondly, we see Boaz's pledge that he gives to her. Notice verse 11. And this is this response. What is Boaz's response to this bold initiation by this Ruth, this widow named Ruth? Well, we see his pledge in verse 11. He says, Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. Now, forgive me if I read too, too far into the text. I don't think I am, just in my own study and prep. This is a very vulnerable picture I think we see here in Boaz's response. He's looking at Ruth's eyes as he says this to her. There's no doubt, as I quoted from C.S. Lewis, the vulnerability of love, true love. You're putting yourself out there. You're opening yourself up for rejection. There's no doubt that her eyes were ones of fear, ones of maybe being shaky and wondering, what am I doing here? We see his pledge is to console and to comfort. He says, do not fear, Ruth, for I will do all that you request. Now, how is it that we know he'll do this? How can we trust Boaz? Well, notice in verse 18 that Naomi has confidence in him. We'll see this again at the end of the chapter. But verse 18, Naomi's response when she hears the news is to Ruth. She says, sit still, my daughter, until you know how this matter will turn out. For the man, Boaz, will not rest until he has concluded the matter. Notice what she says. This is confidence. This day. Just rest, Ruth. If I know Boaz like I think I do, Boaz will keep his word. What a reputation for him. We've been pointing at the character of Ruth. We now come back to the character of Boaz as he makes this pledge, this this promise to her. He's not going to stand her up. He's not going to abandon her. This very day, he is going to work to pursue, to tidy up this matter so that Ruth can be his bride. Just by way of application, what a reputation. If Boaz is involved, he will not rest until the matter is is settled. Church tonight, as we think about our own reputation, as we think about being believers and ambassadors for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, can the same be said of me? Can the same be said of you? Are you a man or a woman of your word? When you say that you'll do something, do people take you at your word knowing that your, repu- your reputation is one that they can take it to the bank? As I was reflecting upon this application, I was thinking my heart was tinged with regret. I can think of times in my life where I said, I will do something, and it dawned on me unintentionally after the fact. I didn't do it, and it wasn't intentional. 
And thank God for His grace, amen, that, that as He leads us by His Spirit, He shows us and reminds us of things that we ought to have done and we have not done. May the Lord give us grace and resolve to improve in our character by the mercy of God in Christ, to grow in our commitments. But as we think about what Boaz says and his reputation, friends, this is a lesson for us. As we think about our witness, as we think about our testimony, the Bible gives description of that of the office of a pastor that that he has to have a good reputation of those not only within the church but those who are without of the church and friends that's not only a, a standard for us it's a standard for everyone within the church do people have confidence in you do people see christ in you as you point to the true and the faithful one boaz here points us to the fact that the king's business requires haste as david would say Thirdly, Boaz's priority, notice with me verse 12, notice what he does. He says, now it is true that I am a close relative. However, when you read that word, however, you wish it wasn't there. As you're entering into the text, if you read this text in one sitting, one of the, there's a strength and exposition for sure. But there's also a beauty in reading the book, particularly the book of Ruth, from beginning to end in its entirety. And I've encouraged you all to do that. And when you do that, this word, however, hits like a 50-pound sack in the gut. Now, it's true that I am a close relative. However, there is a closer relative than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, then good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as Yahweh lives. Now, who's Yahweh? Yahweh is the covenant-keeping God. He's not just taking God's name in vain. He's saying in the same way that our covenant-keeping God keeps his promises to us. If the Lord allows, if as Yahweh allows, as Yahweh lives, I will perform this duty for you if it is God's will. Lie down, Ruth, until morning. So this is so important. Here in this love story, it's very clear that, that as Ruth initiates this commitment, this question to Boaz, Bo, Boaz reveals his commitment and his love to Ruth. But there's something, church, that comes before love. And, and what is that, you say? What comes before love in a world today that worship, worships love, that exalts love? Again, you get the idea. It's this. It's scripture. It's truth. What comes before me, what comes before you, is God's word. And Boaz is a man who's not willing to violate God's law, God's processes, if it violates God's word. You can say it like this. Boaz is not pragmatic. Boaz is not a man who says, well, it, it doesn't matter. I love her. She loves me. The end just simply justifies the means. Now listen, friends. Listen, church. Love does not excuse disobedience. Boaz understood that it was not yet his right to have Ruth. There was still another relative closer than he. And he knew that he would be violating God's word to marry her right away, impulsively. And even for a wonderful woman like Ruth, Boaz was unwilling to do that. How does this run counterculture to what we see here and read and watch today? Love rules the day. You follow your heart. You do you. If you love him and 
She loves you. Y'all love each other. Just what, that's the ultimate standard, right? I just want to remind all of us, church, this is how we're different than the world. No. Love is not the ultimate standard. By the way, this is not something that is completely uh, biblical. Like in other words, in the Victorian era, you go back and read the old classics, you see demonstrations and examples of this. This was brought truth, beauty, goodness, Philippians 4 language that describes uh, all that is moral and righteous and good was common in the entertainment forms of the day. I'm not trying to get off track here, but we live in a day that's just brought everything down to the most, reduced it, sterilized it down to the most personal, defective, faulty definitions of what love is. Modern wisdom would simply say this, Boaz, Boaz, follow your heart. Boaz, be happy. You love her. She loves you. What stands in your way? And Boaz would say to all of us today, the fear of God does. The word of God does. Psalm 37, 23, Boaz is a living example of the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Boaz has known this. Boaz has experienced this. And that verse goes on to say, and he delights in his way. By the way, as a pastor, this is good advice and counsel for marriage, isn't it? The foundation for my marriage, the foundation for your marriage church, and the foundation for your future marriage, kids, teens, and young people that are here tonight, is the standard of love for God and His Word, not your love for who you're, who you're in love with, your fiancé, your, your future wife. Now, some of you are looking at me, as I've said before in this Sunday night series, like a calf looking at a new gate. You're looking at me odd, and so I might park here a while. I might just stay here a while and unpack this until I feel like I'm, I'm connecting. You know this is true, church. And if you don't know this is true, then hear the word of the Lord. The foundation for a great marriage is not simply love alone. It's the foundation of God's word, and it's the foundation of the fear of the Lord. And as a man and a woman grow in their love for God, God is who is supreme, God is who is their creator. As a man and a woman grow closer and stronger in their commitment to God, guess who they also grow stronger to and in love with? It's to each other. But if a man and a woman at the bottom of that triangle is just simply stay in this peripheral horizontal focus, we see what happens in that result, uh, regard every single day. People lose their love for their spouse. People say, I no longer love you. I've lost that feeling. The reasons why I first married you, well, they're no longer here. You've had cancer, or you don't look the same, or you're in a car wreck. This is hard. I just don't think I can do this. All these reasons lead to what we see as modern-day abandoning of marriage even today. What we see here is Boaz's godly example that says, Ruth, I love you, and Ruth, I will do this, but... I must follow God's word. However, and that leads us to the fourth point of Boaz's promise. We see his protection in verse 14. He cares about her, and he cares about her reputation. Notice what he says. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, in other words, it's at dawn. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Here, very succinctly, we see that Boaz has a sense of protection for Ruth. His conscience is clear. Her conscience is clear. Both of them know nothing of impropriety has happened here on this evening. But yet, Boaz knows that people talk and that people are people. And so he doesn't want to leave anything to the imagination. 
So we see his protection here in verse 14. And then lastly, in verse 15, we see the provision that he gives. Verse 15 says this, Also he said, Ruth, come, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it open. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and he laid it upon her. Then she returned home. She went into the city. Now, just to remind us, we saw back in Ruth chapter 2 on her first day working in the harvest, working in the field, that he gave to her about 30, about half of what he's giving to her now. Here it's estimated this is 60 pounds of grain. 60 pounds. And so don't ask me to reconcile the shawl part with the 60 pounds of grain part. That's the commentators just say this is what it's estimated to be. But either her shawl was really durable and uh, from, from the getting place, it was, it was huge and wide. I don't know. I don't know how to reason it out. But he loaded her down. The point here of the text is not the measurements. The point here is his, his generosity. Again, this text points us back to his love and his provision and his care for her. This is twice of what he provided before when he first met her. What is the point of this? What is the point of this gift? Well, he's obviously showing concern for her and Naomi. But I think he wants us to know here, again, the text doesn't say this, but I'll, I want to make that distinction so you know what is my thought on it and what is, what is the scripture. I think he wants her to know this is not certain. There's a, there's a big question mark in the air that we're not going to get settled here this evening. What's going to happen? Now, I know you know the rest of the story. But here's the idea. I, I think he's showing this generosity towards her that shows that regardless of whether or not I can marry you, I still care for you. As I have before, I will continue. This is his heart. This is, this is who he is. We, we pointed out previously some of these laws that we see, particularly in chapter 2. And if you remember, one of the laws that we saw was the law of generosity. The law of generosity. God's people are a generous people. Notice Boaz doesn't say, well, here's, a, here's just a thin young woman. Uh, we're just going to give her maybe enough for today. No, he pours out heaps and heaps and heaps upon her. I'm going to say this. God's people don't live out of scarcity in our gifts towards others. We are not a people that are stingy and scarce and acting as if we've never known the love of God. Listen, church, I was so proud of you in the last few days. One of the comments of people coming downstairs was, there is so much food here. And while I didn't say it, what I wanted to say, and that the reason is, is a preacher is always wanting to preach. So be glad I didn't. But as multiple people said that, and that was a good thing. That's a compliment. And what you want to say is it's better that there be more food than that's needed than not enough. Better than there be plenty of food for the family to take home than we're counting out peas to make sure everyone gets a fair share. No, church, the goal is always more than enough. The goal is always overabundance. It's called the law of generosity. Boaz continues to reflect this. God's people, if they have to, are stingy towards self, but gracious towards others. And you say, well, wow, that's easy for, for someone to say. Friend, look no further than God. Look no further than God. Jesus did not tithe a tenth of his blood. He gave it all for his bride. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. God is gracious in his love. In the bestowing of his love, Jesus has poured out his blood for his bride. And here we see Boaz as a type of Christ, gracious upon gracious, even to the point of maybe cruel. 
You can see Ruth carrying on 60 pounds of, of grain. Okay, that did not have the effect I, I thought it was going to have. I was trying to be funny. Don't take that too hard to the bank, okay? He was not being cruel, but he was being gracious, pouring out his love upon her in provision. By the way, going back to the food for the family, yesterday at the graveside, Josh announced, uh, Josh Lloyd announced that, that, that tons of people were coming over to his house later on that afternoon. And this is what he said, and I'm sure from more sources than grace, he said, we've got more food than an army can eat. We, we've got more than we can handle. So come on. And church, I'm just to tell you, thank you for allowing God to use you. Thank you for going the extra mile. Thank you for allowing the Lord to use you and being a ministry to that family. God's people are a gracious, generous people. Lastly, we see the conclusion of our text, verse 16. Ruth returns home. We can see Naomi in our mind's eye, pacing, sleepless, praying throughout the night. What is the result of her instruction? What happened with Ruth and Boaz? Well, verse 16 says this, Then Ruth went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave to me, for he said, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. My goodness, she certainly is not. And then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Church family, as we conclude our, our study here this evening, I do want to give some points of application that I pray that, that you will pray about and take home. What is this passage? I've spent two times together now and Ruth chapter 3, but what are some takeaways for us? We've been looking at godly Ruth, godly Boaz, and how the Lord has been orchestrating their marriage. What is some godly wisdom for us, particularly maybe even some young people and teens that are preparing for the life that is ahead? Well, friends, I want to point you to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and tell you this. As you're preparing for all that God has for you, Church family, this applies to all of us. Young people, this applies to you as you grow up in the godly manhood and womanhood. Pursue Christ with all your heart. Pursue Christ with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Psalm 1 gives us this description of the man and woman who is planted and rooted in God's Word. You pursue Christ. You focus on your character and your character formation as you are led of the Spirit, as you grow in the gospel, and you grow strong in Christ Jesus. You serve Him. You seek first His kingdom, Matthew 6, and all these other things will be added unto you. Early on in my ministry, part of my duties required that I was a youth pastor, and so Charity and I were able to serve quite a few young people, and, and many young men would come to me and, and as their, their, their interest, their love interest or their girlfriend was going off to college, maybe they were going to one college and they're going to another, the, the young man particularly would usually be unsettled, worried that he was going to lose her, worried that, you know, how, how, what do I do here? And we, I would, of course, give him counsel. You trust the Lord. You pray for her. You write letters, do old-fashioned things, find ways to connect to her heart, just practical advice, those types of things. Some of the best accounts I've tried to give is simply you focus on you. 
you grow in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let no man despise your youth. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You grow in the word. And as you grow in the word, the Lord will help her to grow in the word. And you will be the type of person that she'll want to marry. And as she does this, she will be the type of person that you want to marry. But if you simply focus on you and your wants and your desires and you want it now, friend, that's a recipe for disaster. So young people, hear me well. If you desire a certain kind of godly man, then you must be that kind of woman. And if you desire a godly woman, you must be that kind of man. Don't desire from someone else that which you're not willing to be yourself. So hear and see this example of godly Boaz and, and godly Ruth. Pursue Christ with all your heart. We see in this example of Boaz the, the advice to advance his kingdom. Pursue goodness, truth, beauty, and goodness. Allow the Lord to build your, your vocation. Seek to be used of the Lord, and you will find that the Lord will bless the work of your hands. The Lord God, it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. And that, another practical point of application is this. Do not place your love and affection in physical beauty alone, young people. Do not place your love and affection or your being caught up in the throes of love simply on the physical person alone. As wonderful as that is, certainly there's an attraction that's there. That, that's understood. We get that. But you cannot base it upon that alone. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Build your foundation upon Christ. Trust in Christ. Pursue someone who loves Christ more than you do and then follow their example. Pursue them as they follow Christ, even as Paul says, I know this is out of context, follow me as I follow Christ. Again, there, there are so many things that, that are helpful for us here, but I want to simply say this. Young men, work hard, be industrious, be generous, and God will put into your heart the burden, His will for you of what He wants you to do. But listen, God will uh, prepare you to build and prepare a place for a home to be one day. Uh, for a home one day, excuse me. I want to say this to the young men who are listening. A lot of times some young men have come and they'll say, I want to date this young girl, but I'm not sure if I'm ready. And one question I'll just say to him, and I know this is not, everybody's going to agree with this. That's not necessarily my point, but this is just what I say. Are you ready to provide for her? Do you, are you, do you, are you, do you, can you provide a home for her? Do you have a steady job? Are you a godly man? Are you able to lead yourself spiritually? Because if you can't provide and if you can't lead yourself devotionally and spiritually, seeking first the kingdom of God, you can't fulfill what God's will is for you to lead your wife or your family, or your children. And so godly young men, listen, pursue Christ. Pursue His will. And you'll know you're starting to get ready for marriage when you can provide spiritually and physically for the family that God will give you one day. You pursue Christ. Keep Him first in all that you do. And God will bless uh, th these orders. And may we see this example of Ruth and Boaz as they point us to the true and greater Boaz that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Older people, I'm seeing a lot of you nod your head. Some of you still not sure, but pray for us that we'll get it all figured out and sorted out. May the Lord bless our church, and particularly may the Lord bless this up-and-coming generation, that they'll find the person God wants for them, that all of us will see and grow in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for the grace upon grace that, that you have poured out today. I've needed it. 
My family's needed it. Our church has needed it. And Father, you have given it. And we thank you for it. We give you praise. We honor you. Father, would you be with your people now as we leave this place, strengthened as a result of being exposed to your word, hearing God's people pray, hearing God's people worship and sing. Father, we are ready now for what you have for us this week. Last Sunday when we gathered, there were so many things that were ahead of us that week that we were not ready for, that we were unaware of. But Lord, we would quickly soon discover that, that we're part of your will for us. This week, we find ourselves in the same exact place. And Father, we need help. We are as weak as water. And so, Lord, we need your guidance. We seek you. We confess that. And Father, we commit ourselves to you that you would lead us in a very plain, clear path. If it be your will, Lord, would you bring us back Wednesday evening for our next gathered worship as we continue to study your word in the book of Psalms. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.